Greetings everybody. Today I'm going to be teaching on justification and uh, how justification by faith works. But before we get into the message, I've got some announcements to make. Uh, today's service will be our second last service for this year. Eliana and I are leaving for Brazil on Thursday and we will be there for two Sundays. We will be away from home and I'll be preaching the gospel of grace in Curitiba area and just bringing the message of God's love there. I'm so excited about that. I preach in Abba Church and uh, some other churches. It's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. And then um, after that, the, we will, like I said, we will not have services until January. It might be that I have a New Year service. I don't know. We will see what we're going to do uh, then. Or maybe Christmas, I will see what we're going to do. But I want to rest and uh, just spend some time in the Word and uh, reading the scriptures, think about the goodness of God, and just take off for, uh, for a while, just uh, rest a bit during this December. But what I will be doing is uh, I will send out a daily devotional from Monday to Thursday, and that will be on WhatsApp. So uh, if you don't have WhatsApp on your phone, get the app called WhatsApp, and then just add the number that's on your screen into your contacts, and it must be exactly as it is on the screen, the plus 27 and the whole number there. Add into your contacts, save it under DLM or Dynamic Love Ministries. And then you go to WhatsApp and you ask us to add you to the daily devotional. So during these holidays, I will still be sending the daily devotional, which is a three-minute, three to four-minute message on the grace of God. I would love to do that. That will just be uh, wonderful for me uh, to share that with you, and I know it will encourage you greatly. So now during this uh, coming December, we will not be having services, and the last live stream we will be having for this year will be on the 9th of December. Amen. And uh, I want to just thank everybody that prays for us. Uh, you know, I've just been to... Uh, camp, family camp, where I preached in the Pretoria area, uh, flew back this morning from Pretoria, and it was just awesome. Andrew and I were there preaching the gospel, the message of God's grace, the message of the resurrection, and there were many people that has never heard this message, really never heard about this message. They believe in Jesus, Christians, but never heard of this, and it's such an honor to have ministered there and just see the fruit. So I'm looking forward to what's going to happen in Brazil as well, wherein we're just going to see more and more of what God has done and how he establishes and manifest, manifests uh, who and what he's done in people's lives. Amen. Now, <clears throat> let's get into the word for today. I'm going to be preaching about justification by faith and not the works of the law. Now, the scripture that I'm going to start with is in Romans 5, verse 18 and 19. Romans 5, verse 18 and 19. Now, before we talk about justification by faith, we first have to talk a little bit about what justification is. You know, if we say justification, we are justified by faith, I mean, there can be 10 different definitions of what justify means. The one person might think that justify means that 
you are not standing guilty before the law anymore or that uh, the law cannot find any fault with you or that you don't have to do rules or regulations or something like that. There's different ideas of what it means to be justified. Now, I want to read this passage and talk to you quickly about what it means to be justified. Now, I do have many messages on justification, uh, but I'm just going to give a shortened version of what it is here. It says here in verse 18, Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So here we clearly see that he's talking about life and death. That is the context. And what he says in verse 18, he says that by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. We can just read it like this. It says, therefore, by the offense of one, all men came into condemnation. And that is if you read it without the italicized words there. So by the offense of one, all men came into condemnation. Condemnation means to be condemned unto death. That is what it means. And that is also in the context clear here. If you read verse 20 and 21. It goes on. Even so by the righteousness of one. The free gift came upon all men. Unto the justification of life. Let's read verse 18 again. Therefore as by the offense of one. Or therefore by the offense of one. All men came into condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one. Upon all men, it is unto the justification of life. So the offense of one upon all means that man has got access unto, the, unto condemnation, meaning being under the rule of death, which is clearly uh, described in Romans 7, which is just uh, a chapter and a half on. Then he goes on and he says, By the righteousness of one, Jesus, the rule of life came upon all men, or the justification of life. So what it means to be justified, justified means to be treated in a way wherein the original plan that God had with you can manifest, to be under the rule of life. When Adam sinned, man was under the rule of death, and death ruled and what this is what what happened we were bearing forth fruit unto death and that was what we would call sins which then eventually lead to, to death itself and will be the utmost destruction of man so justification here simply means to have eternal life eternal life for those of you that have not heard these messages before eternal life simply means eternal existence in the quality or even on account of the quality of God's life as a physical human being. That's what eternal life means. You live now and you can see that you live and you might live on this earth for 
let's say, if you're very strong, 110 years on this earth you will live. But you can also have eternal life. What that means is that you can be raised from the dead or in the day of the Lord, you you can be changed in the twinkling of an eye into a person that can live in a physical human body. You can then live forever and never die. That is what justification means. Justification means to be justified or actually to have what God has promised you manifest in your life by His doing. That is what it is all about. To have what God has promised you manifest in your life. That's it. Isn't that absolutely awesome? Right. So we are continuing here. And uh, now I'm going to go to Romans 4. And we're going to read from verse 1. I would like for you to uh, clearly understand that justification is the manifestation of what God has promised. And as you're going to see today, and we're going to read those scriptures, that the promise that God has for man is eternal life. So the only way wherein you can be justified, the way justification actually works, the way justification actually manifests, is by God bringing forth what He has promised, which is eternal life in you bodily. Amen. (laughs) That is absolutely good news. Now, with uh, what justification is in mind, we're now going to read Romans 4 verse 1. It says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to glory about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And I wrote here, and then he is justified by God in having that which was promised by God. Now let us look at Abraham here. God came to Abraham. Abraham was not the typical uh, obedient Southern Baptist Christian when he lived in Mesopotamia. You know, he Abraham was what we would call an idol-worshipping person. What we would say today, like you would think of areas in the world where people have never heard about Jesus and they're still worshipping rocks and trees and idols and those kind of things. That's what Abraham was. Abraham didn't do anything right as pertaining to uh, Jewish laws or those kind of things. As a matter of fact, the Jewish laws did not even exist. It wasn't even there. And Abraham came, and what Abraham did was, he. Or, I, I mean, Abraham lived a normal life, but what God did was, God came to Abraham just in the condition that he was in. And as Abraham came to God, uh, as, as God came to Abraham in this condition, what took place was God promised Abraham. He promised Abraham that he will give to Abraham what Abraham cannot have by his own ability. 
Abraham could not have children by his own ability. Abraham was actually dying as pertaining to lineage because he couldn't have children. But Abraham, God made Abraham a promise. And he said to him, you will be heir of the world. In other words, this uh, uh, through you, you will have, I'll bless many nations. Your children will be as the stars of heaven, the sand of the sea. You will see how I will multiply you. In other words, what was taking place is Abraham had a promise made by God unto him. And that promise was a type and a shadow of what God has promised us, which is you will not die, but be multiplied. You will continue to live. That is the promise, the type and the shadow of the promise in Abraham here. Okay, now let's read this again. It says, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh is found? So what he's saying is, did Abraham find what God promised him according to his own works? He says, if Abraham was justified by works or if that what was promised by God or the multiplication of Abraham's seed or Abraham becoming a big nation, if that was by Abraham's own works, he could really glory and say, I am something because I could, out of my own ability, generate, bring forth a generation out of my own dead body and the deadness of Sarah's womb. But in other words, by my own ability, I can raise the dead. That is what it would basically have meant. But it says here that Abraham could not glory. Uh, he could glory, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God. And as he just believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. What that means and what the Jewish understanding here is, is that you had to be righteous according to the law in order for God to manifest blessing in your life. Now what he is saying here is that Abraham simply believed that God could bring forth what God has promised and that was enough. Just believe God that what he promised can he will bring forth. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, listen to this. To him that works, the works of the law, and don't live by faith. We're going to explain all of this. The reward or that or the justification is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. That, was, that is a way of saying that if you live by your own works, then you have fallen from grace. What that means is, if you live by your own works, you are under the power of willpower to bring forth something in your life. And you're not standing under the power of God that will bring forth something in your life. So this is how it works. If God makes you a promise... And in, this, and in in the case we talk about here, justification, if God promises us eternal life, all we can do is believe Him. And as you believe Him, we then stand under the influential power of God on our lives. And He then brings forth what He has promised in our lives. But if we are saying we are living by works, in other words, I'm going to work to bring forth what God has promised. 
I am by my own works going to have eternal life. You know what? Then you are at a place where you have to manifest that. What it would mean is if you live righteous, then life is owed to you by your own works. You need to bring it forth by your own power. And we know that it cannot be that way. Um, <clears throat> you cannot be righteous according to the Christian, Christian righteousness without a promise. And let me explain that. Let us go back. What is justification? Justification is the manifestation of what God has promised in your life. That is what justification is. Justification is the manifestation of what God has promised in your life. And the right thing to do in the presence of God, promise, making you a promise, is to simply believe Him. That's it. What sets you up, or let me put it this way, if you are as you ought to be before God when He's made you a promise, this is the way you are as you ought to be. You just believe Him. That's it. That's, that's righteous. That's fully qualified. That is as you ought to be. I, would rather, I don't want, even want to use the word qualified. That is as you ought to be. How are we to be before God? We first have to see what God we stand in front of. We stand in front of a God that's not commanding obedience to the law, but He's commanding, or He's actually not even, he's, he's making a promise. So if He makes a promise, what's the right thing to do if somebody makes a promise to you? Believe Him. Just believe Him. That sets you up to be in a place where you're not going to mess up what is coming your way. Because God is saying, listen, it's like saying, if I say to my son, I want to give you a house. And he starts to build his own house. You know what it's going to bring? It's going to bring difficulty in my heart. It's going to bring difficulty between me and him. Confusion and all those kind of things. But if I make him a promise and all he does is he believes me, then he is righteous. Righteous meaning he's acting correctly as pertaining to the promise that I've made. And then when I manifest that promise, then he is justified with what I've promised from the beginning. Then I justify him by blessing him. I justify him with a house. That is why the scripture says we will have the justification of life. Means God promises us eternal life. What do we do? We simply just believe him and then he justifies us with that life. That's the just thing. That's the right thing. Now, in order to be justified by God, you have to have a promise from God. What is the promise that's from God? First John 2 verse 25. And this is a promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. First John 2 25. Let me read it again. And this is the promise He has promised us, eternal life. Okay, what has God promised man? What is the promise? I even put this on Facebook, a question to all of you. What is the promise that God promised man? Eternal life. What is the blessing of Abraham at the end of the day? The blessing of Abraham is that in his seed, the promise was to Abraham and his seed, the one, everyone can have now eternal life by the doing of God. That's just a long story made short. 
Titus 1 verse 2 talks about the very same thing. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faithfulness of God's, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Okay, so what is the promise from the beginning? It's eternal life. It says here, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Then in John, there's another verse that says, this is the commandment, eternal life. We know that his commandment is eternal life. So if we want to be justified by faith, we first need to see what we need to believe. What do we need to believe? We need to believe that God can give us eternal life. You remember the beginning of the service? I defined eternal life. Eternal life simply means to live forever. Inside the quality of God's life. Amen. Now, you today, and I want to repeat myself, you today might live for 110 years. But that doesn't mean you live forever. If I say you live for 110 years, and I then want to define living forever, it doesn't mean we're not changing uh, from body to spirit or something like that. No. If I now live for 110 years and I want to say I live forever, everlasting life cannot be defined outside of who and what we are today. That is why when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised from the dead, having no bones in his grave, never being able to die. And now, as he was before he died, he now, in that same human body, live forever and he cannot die. So what is the promise of God? The promise of God is eternal life. I find even in the church, in my travels, in my preaching on the web, and so I find many people believing this, but I also find the broader majority not believing this, struggling to believe this, not thinking that we can actually, as humans, live forever. That even should we die, we, we the real us, can be raised up and so live forever. If you cannot believe that, and if you don't believe that, how will you be justified? Because we are justified by faith. Amen. In other words, we stand righteous before God. The right thing to do, if you want to call it like that, or to be as you ought to be before God, is to believe that. The Bible says, Romans 10, that whosoever believes that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, he shall be saved. So how will we be justified with eternal life? By believing in the resurrection and believing that what God has promised, He can actually fulfill. So if we look at justification without the works of the law, we know that justification cannot exist outside of a promise, because we're justified by faith. Or we have what God has promised fulfilled in us by simply believing that God can make it true. Th that is it. And please, when I say this, don't now have a car and a house and a breakthrough and a whatever in mind. No, I want to stick to what the scripture defines justification here as, and that is eternal life. Now, let's go to verse uh, Romans 4, verse 6. It says, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the man who does not have to deliver himself, this is my own words, from his own sin and death, but where God is the one removing sin and death for him. Amen. So, how are we righteous? We are righteous when we can believe that God is the one that removes our sin, that God is the one that removes our iniquities, that God is the one that ends our death. That's how we walk righteous before God. When we believe that He justifies us with a life free from sin, free from death, free from iniquity. So when you're at a place where you believe that I have to repent of my own sins and leave my sins so that I can go to heaven, you are unrighteous. You are standing unrighteous in front of the promise of God. You are not as you ought to be in front of the promise of God. Why? Because you, and you will not attain unto righteousness. Why? Because you are not seeking the, uh, 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 you're not seeking the promise by faith, but you're seeking the promise by the works of the law. If God has promised you eternal life, and you think that you have to do good works to have eternal life, that belief is called an unbelief, and you cannot attain Unto a point where we can say, you, or where God can say, you are as you ought to be before me. You see, we have defined righteousness by the law as guilty or not guilty. But righteousness is actually defined as are you as you ought to be before God when he has promised you eternal life. Righteousness there, that's how we define it. Righteousness is if God has made me a promise and he says, and this is his promise, I will deliver you from sin. I deliver you from death. I deliver you from not being a partaker of my quality of life. I will do that. Now, what he says here um, in uh, Romans uh, 4 verse 5, it says, But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So if you can believe that God can justify the ungodly, what that means is that God can take away by his doing and not the doing of the ungodly. He can take away the ungodliness of the ungodly, which means that every area where they are not like God, that he can actually take that away. Not by their works, but by the work of God. He says his faith is counted to him for righteousness. It's a, and then it goes on. It says, even as David described the blessedness of the man where God has forgiven him or delivered him from sin and death. Where God sees that sin is removed from him by the doing of God. So what is righteousness by faith? Righteousness by faith or justification by faith rather. There's a fly in here. <laughs> justification by faith rather is this. Justification by faith is when the Almighty God has promised you eternal life. It's when the Almighty God says, I will stop what destroys your life. I will stop the fruit of the flesh in your life. And when you are saying, I believe him. I believe him. You can be addicted to alcohol and you can say, well, I believe that the almighty God has promised me freedom and freedom is mine and that is my expectation. I believe he can do it. 
I believe, not just that, but I believe I can live forever in my body. Even if I die, I'll be raised. If it is that the Lord comes in my time, while I live on this earth, I'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye and shine like the noonday sun with the same glory as what Jesus Christ has. So, what we need to understand here, and this is the point that I want to make, justification by faith means that we can have eternal life by the doing of God and we have that justification only by trusting that God can do it. When we trust God that only He can do it, that is right. Therefore, we are declared righteous. We don't need the law to be declared righteous. We don't need to stand innocent before the law and the Ten Commandments and all those kind of things. Have a Jesus punished to be innocent before the law. No. Justification and righteousness can be defined without the law. The law only testifies of this truth. If God makes you a promise, and in this case, the promise is eternal life, you believe Him, you are now right. You're doing the right thing. That's all. And that is basically the beginning and the end of the whole gospel. Amen. Now, David even confirmed that. He says, blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are, are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Put in my own words here, blessed is the man that does not have to deliver himself from sin and death, where God is the one removing sin and death from him. The word sin in the Greek I want to read to you. Uh, amartia, uh, the root word for that is amartana, which means to be without a share in. So when you sin is when you are not sharing in the very life of God. That comes from another root word, which means not to have the part that is due to you or to have that which was assigned to you, not to have what was uh, allotted to you or not to have what God has destined for you, not to partake in the destiny that God has for you. That is what sin is. So sin is not to take part in what is due to you. Now, God came and His plan for man was that man would have eternal life, like Jesus has as a human today. And He is Lord of this physical world. He is physical and is Lord of this physical world. That eternal life that He has, that was the destination, that the destiny that God had for Jesus. And we saw that when He was raised up into immortality, that He can now not sin. Why? For He has now attained unto this destiny. He has now received what was His part. He has now... Uh, fully grabbed the hold of and it was manifested in by the doing of God that which was assigned unto him. Now, God says, Blessed is the man, through David, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. In other words, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will, will not allow his destiny to be taken away from him. 
to the one where God now, by His power, makes sure that, was, that what is your lot, what was promised to you, what is your due part and what was assigned to you, that it comes your way. Blessed is the man where God is the one that makes sure that was assigned to you manifests in you. Blessed is that man. But cursed is the man who wants to manifest what God has promised him by his own works. I hope you, you see what I'm saying there. Let's just go through the definition of sin again. Sin is not to have a share in or not to have what was, what is your due or what was assigned to you or not to share in the destiny that God has for you. That is sin. Now the destiny that God has for us, so sin is defined by, also defined by the promise. The promise is, I promise you eternal life. So what would sin be? Sin would be not to have eternal life. That is it. <laughs> that is why the forgiveness of sin is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Jesus was raised for our justification. Amen? So, how do we not sin? It is impossible for a man not to sin. Every human being, no human being, can be righteous before God without God fulfilling His promise in that man. When a human does not want to trust God to make him immortal, he will be walking in sin. Now the Bible clearly says that those who believe in Jesus, those who have the hope of the resurrection, God is now the one that will manifest eternal life in him and he cannot sin, meaning he cannot miss out on his lot. He cannot miss out on his destiny. You cannot sin. I've preached this last Sunday. It is impossible for a person who believes in Jesus to sin. They say, oh, but I drank a beer. I smoked a cigarette. I've sinned. Hey, the definition of sin is not to share in immortality. There is no way that a person that has believed on Jesus and believes in God cannot be justified with eternal life. There is no way. Why? Because as we have believed upon Him, even the Spirit of the Lord is now inside us and we cannot sin. We cannot not have our lot. We cannot not have what was assigned to us. We cannot not take part in what is our due. Why? Because God can even raise the dead and we are standing in God justifying us and fulfilling His promise. Okay, now, what did Abraham believe? What did Abraham believe? I'm going to read Romans 4 from verse 9. We're going to go down to verse 21 about. It says, Comes this blessing upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being circumcised, that, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision, 
circumcision to them which are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith of Father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Now, this is just a, a, a kind of a it's simple writing if you lived back then. But for us, this is a complicated writing. But all that he was actually saying is that Abraham was reckoned righteous before he was circumcised. Um, and then the circumcision, which is the cutting away of the flesh, was then given unto him as a sign that he is truly righteous before God because he has simply believed God. What that means is that, and what Paul tries to write here, is that we today and the Gentiles don't have to obey the law and be under the Ten Commandments and under the writings of the law in order to be righteous before God. What he was actually saying is that circumcision was given as a sign of righteousness. And circumcision today is the cutting away of the flesh, or the Bible says circumcised in heart, which we would see then as the fruit of the Spirit. So as we believe in the Lord, the Spirit brings forth fruit in us, and we see it cuts away a piece of flesh, ending living in the flesh, wherein we see the fruit of the Spirit. That's basically what he is saying. And he is pointing out here that we are not righteous by obedience to the law because Abraham was declared righteous before the giving of the law, before the circumcision. He was already declared righteous. And goes on in verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. So what it says here is, the only way wherein you can be sure that you're going to have eternal life, the only way you can be sure of that is if it is by grace through faith. You cannot be sure of eternal life by your works. Verse 16, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. So what it actually means is, the moment you believe in God, the change in your life is by the grace of God and not your own willpower. But if you don't believe that God can make a human immortal and can make you as a full human, spirit, soul and body, fully immortal, to live forever, not just 110 years, but to live forever. If you can't believe that, what it means is that under that belief, grace will manifest in your life. We've defined grace as God not punishing us. In the meantime, grace is the power of God to manifest what He has promised inside our lives. That is what grace is. And the way we have access to that grace, the Bible says, is by faith, Romans 5. So when we simply believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he now as a physical human rules over physical human humanity and has the power to fully manifest what's in him, in us, meaning we can then live forever and that the fullness of that will manifest in the day Jesus returns. If you can believe that, the moment and the day you believe that, you'll start to experience the influential power of God stopping the fruit of the flesh in your life. That is the sign of circumcision. Okay, that is what he's saying here. So we can clearly see that we cannot be justified with a new life by the works of the law. For the only sure way 
Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Isn't that awesome? Now it says in verse 17, As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. So what did Abraham believe? Abraham believed in the God that quickens the dead. The God that quickens the dead promised him. How did he quicken the dead? He looked at Abraham's dead body, looked at Sarah's dead womb, quickened their wombs, and gave a life born from that. And now Paul comes in this writing, he says, we can be justified with the ability to bear fruit right now. How? By believing in the resurrection and that God can make his promise of eternal life, as I've defined it four times in this message, true in your life. Verse 18. Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. So what did Abraham believe? Abraham, against hope, believed in hope. Paul now, pulling that towards us as Christians, saying to us, or, or us as humans, saying, listen, there, it doesn't, it's against hope to have the hope that your body will live forever and never die and have the quality of God's life in all love and all peace and everything without you working at all, at it at all, simply trusting God. That's against hope. But he against hope, believed in hope, Abraham. And what, how, how does that apply to us? We against hope, the hope of physically living forever. There's no hope for us if we look in this normal medical world and those kind of things. What hope is there for this world to see that sin will cease in this world or the fruit of the flesh will cease in this world? There's no hope. You just see politics going wild all the time. You're seeing sin abounding almost. But against hope, we believe in hope. What is the hope? The resurrected Jesus and that his resurrected body gives hope to humans to have exactly the same. As we have that, what happens to us? We are now, by the Holy Spirit, finding the first fruit of that life manifesting in us. Right, let's go on. It says here, And Abraham, not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that, he had, uh, that what he had promised he was also able to perform, and therefore it was given unto him because of his righteousness. Okay, now let me explain that. Abraham, what did Abraham believe? Abraham, Abraham had a promise. The promise was, I'll make you a great nation. But Abraham had a body that's about 100 years old and a Sarah that's about 90 years old and her womb is dead. He, his body is about dead. It says that God promised that he can bring life out of this death. A sign of the resurrection. Okay, What did Abraham do? He didn't, he didn't stumble at this promise. But he, in unbelief, he believed that that which God has promised, he can make it true. And when he believed that, that is right. That's the right thing to do. So he is as he ought to be, righteous. And since he was now righteous, as he ought to be, 
What was promised was assigned to him and manifested. That is what that passage is saying. It says, now it was not only written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us, to whom it shall be imputed. Now listen to this. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So why was Jesus raised again? He was raised from the dead as a physical human so that he, the physical human, can conquer sin and conquer death and then rule over sin and death in the lives of everyone that believes upon him. So why was he raised from the dead? So that we can be justified with what God has promised humanity, which is eternal life. So he was raised from the dead that we can now So we can believe that God can raise the dead. We believe in Him. We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and that that resurrected Jesus gives us the promise of eternal life. And why was He raised from the dead? So that we can see upon that, believe upon that, and so that He can manifest that rulership in our lives. So we are not saved by our works from death. We are justified with eternal life by the doing of God. Now, I want to end off this way. Romans 9.30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness, uh, the, the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness, in other words, which were not doing the law, have attained unto the righteousness of the law, even the righteousness which is of faith. So what, what Paul is saying in Romans 9 here, he says, I want to tell you this, that the Gentiles who never did the law, but simply believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, They attained unto righteousness. They are now as they ought to be. And you Jews who are still seeking the law to get everything right so that you can be right before God so the Messiah can come, you've missed it. That's what he was saying. Then verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained unto the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek the law by faith. In other words, they were not searching through the law to see what they must believe or to believe that God can do it. They were reading the law to see what they must do to be right before God instead of reading the law to see what God has promised. So you can seek the law by faith or you can seek the law by works. I seek the law by faith, meaning I read the law to see that the law was not about sacrifices, it was not about offerings, it was not about tithing and sowing and reaping and whatever, that the law is actually the promise of God, which is eternal life. Now, as I read the law, I see how God has promised a human body, Jesus, how he would raise him from the dead, how he would be seated at the right hand of God. I see that is what the prophets are saying. I see that the Lord testifies to man's inability to to, to to have that. I see how the law points to Christ. And as I seek the law by the mindset of believing that God can give to me free from the works of the law, then I attain unto the righteousness that the law was actually talking about. Glory to God. Verse 32. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it's written, Behold, I lay a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him 
shall not be ashamed. Adam and Eve was ashamed when they started to live by their own works, hiding their own nakedness. They were ashamed of their nakedness. Why? Because their mortality was put on display. What it says here, if you believe on him that was raised from the dead, Jesus, you shall not be ashamed. Your mortality shall not be put on display, but the immortality of Jesus shall be put on display in your life. We are justified by faith as we believe that we will be justified by faith, live forever because of the doing of God. That is right. We declared righteous. Amen. And God justifies us. And we will see that justification, the justification of life, manifest in us fully in the day of the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. I want to thank you so much that you've watched this message. Uh, please remember that we will only have a message on the 9th of December and then no service, services during December. But I will send a daily devotional Mondays to Fridays. Please look at the WhatsApp number that is on your screen. Put that WhatsApp number in your contacts. Save it under Dynamic Love Ministries. And then in WhatsApp, request us to send, put you on the devotional list and we will send it out to you. Make sure you put your name and your country that you're from in there because we've got so many people and we organized according to countries. Thank you so much for listening and allowing me to serve you today.